You're listening to the podcast from King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. We're glad you're here. If you'd like to learn more about our church or want to know how to get involved, visit kingscross.org. We pray that as you listen, you experience the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. time it's, it's still just a delight it's a joy for me to be able to do that and of course uh, I'm a big fan of this church uh, I'm a big fan of, of Chip and his wife and their daughters and uh, just delight to know that God has got his hand on this place God has got his hand on you as the congregation uh, those who lead those who serve those who attend this place and, and I've, I'm confident that God has many more great things ahead for this church now, Chip has asked me to speak this morning about stewardship, developing the habit, the spiritual habit of being a good steward, and it has to do with money, okay? Now, I want to ask you to do an exercise with me uh, just to begin with. Uh, if you would just take your arms and reach them out like this as much as you can without disturbing the hair of the lady in front of you, you don't want to do that, just hold your hands open. Now, if you, if you walk around like this every day, uh, what would people think? they think, that guy's weird. That woman, that woman is weird, but, but think about your hands being open like this as holding all of your material possessions. You know, if it's money, if it's uh, stuff that you can hold, uh, the keys to your vehicle, your house, uh, bank account books, whatever. And if you have your hands open like this, you know it's possible for somebody to come along and snatch it away, Right? You also know if you have your hands open, it's possible for somebody to come along and drop stuff into your hands. And so one of the growth marks of a Christian steward is to have open hands to God so that God can put in your hands everything He wants you to have and God can take from your hands everything He wants, okay? So that's one of the things that I'd like to preach a whole sermon about, but that's not the text for today, okay? Now, here's another one. This is just lanyap, you know, as they say in New Orleans. This is, this is not, I haven't charged you a bit for this, and I won't, okay? This is free. I want to ask you to think about this today uh, during the message. You already prayed. I hope you prayed that God would speak to you this morning. What is your next step in stewardship? In terms of how you use the resources that God has put in your hands, what is your next step? Now, I know some Christians think, well, I am a tither. I give 10% of my income to God's work, and that's admirable, and that's wonderful, and I, and I believe that's a good thing to do. But do you realize that's not the last step in stewardship? God may have something much greater than a tithe in mind for you. And it may not be just financial giving, it may be other things. And so, as we grow in this world before we reach heaven, as we are being more and more turned into the image of Jesus Christ, that's called sanctification, there is always another step. So ask yourself the question this morning, if you, what is my next step in growth in my stewardship? Okay, Now, if you have your Bibles this morning, our scripture text is in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. 
And uh, basically what I want to share with you this morning is there are four steps in this text that I want to point out to you. This is not the whole thing in the text, but it's the, the thing I want to share with you this morning. Four steps that will help you develop into a strong spiritual habit of stewardship, of, of dealing appropriately with your finances, okay? So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Uh, I have to tell you this, though. There was, a, there was a man who came to our church over in Mount Pleasant one day, and uh, the receptionist didn't know him, and our secretary didn't know him. And so uh, he said, uh, they said, how can we help you? He said, well, I need somebody to pray for me. And uh, so I was in my office at that time, and uh, so the receptionist called back and says, uh, Pastor, there's a man here who needs prayer. Would you have time? Oh, yeah, I have plenty of time to pray for somebody. So they brought him back to my office, and he sat down. And I looked across, and I didn't know him. And I said, well, how can I pray for you? He said, well, Pastor, I want you to pray for my hearing. I said, okay. So I walked over to him around my desk and walked over to where he was seated. And I put my hand on his shoulder, and I prayed for God to restore his hearing, just like it was when he was a little kid. And I said the amen, I walked back around my desk and sat down and looked up to him. So how does it feel now? He said, well, i tell you what, preacher, my hearing is next Tuesday. <laughs> anyway, that doesn't have anything to do with stewardship, but some of you were getting a little drowsy, and I thought I'd keep you away. 2 Corinthians 8 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. From the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, <clears throat> and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty, that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give you my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, and there may be fairness, as it is written, Whoever gathered much has nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, there are so many things that the Bible teaches us about stewardship. Jesus said a lot about money. Did you know that? 
When you read the parables, when you look at the teaching of the life of Jesus, how he interacted with people, oftentimes he touched on money, material things, wealth, stewardship. Many many of you remember the story of uh, the man we call the rich fool. Uh, He was a guy who who seemed to have everything going for him. Uh, He was a farmer, and he raised good crops, big crops, and he had barns full of stuff that he had stored And he said, you know, my crops are so good this year that I'm going to have to find a way to store them because I don't have any more room. So maybe I'll just tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then the parable said, and the man looked at him, God looked at him and said, you fool. Tonight your soul is going to be required of you. And then whose things will these be? Have you ever been to a funeral of a wealthy person? A person who had lived uh, and maybe been very successful in business, maybe a Christian man even, Christian woman. And as they left the church or the funeral home to go to the cemetery to bury the body, did you ever see one with a U-Haul behind it, carrying all their wealth? Doesn't happen that way, does it? When you die, when you end this world, all that earthly wealth stays behind except what you sent ahead into the kingdom of God. So let's look at this text for a moment, if you will. And let me give you the first thing that is the first step of being a generous Christian steward. Step number one is to surrender everything you have to God's ownership. In verse 5, it tells us that they first gave themselves to the Lord. Now, you see, Paul was writing about this opportunity that the churches in Asia and the churches in uh, Macedonia and Greece and all the different Mediterranean places he'd visited were gathering this money to send to the church in Jerusalem. There had been really difficult times for the Christians still living in Jerusalem. The, the, The church had spread by this time. And, and the majority of the Christians no longer lived in Jerusalem. They no longer lived in Judea. They had spread out so much, they had multiplied so far. But the believers in Jerusalem were, were going through hardships, and they needed financial help. And so Paul started taking this offering and telling the churches, hey, we're going to get this money together. We're going to send it. Now, they didn't have uh, electronic means to send the money. In fact, there, there was a common currency, but there were many ways of wealth besides the currency. And so he was getting this offering together, this offering ready. And he says of this church in Corinth, he said, you guys have done a great job. You've begun to take up this money. You've begun to gather this money. And I want you to continue this giving and taking it up until it is completed. And to do that, you have set a standard. You first gave yourselves to the Lord. Now, when somebody is stingy with God, it's a sign that they haven't given everything to God. I mean, uh, take off, uh, take your car key, your car fob. I don't guess I have a car key anymore. Uh, whose car is this, really? Uh, it's God's, isn't it? You say, well, it's, it's God's in the banks. Well, <laughs> actually, it's God's, right? And uh, if you have a bank account, whose, whose money is in the bank? Is it yours or God's? 
And you see, the problem some Christians have is they think God has saved their soul, and when they die, they're going to heaven. But whatever happens between here and getting to heaven is, is up to them. They have to make that choice. And to some extent, you do have to make choices, and to some extent, you do have some control. But listen, if you see things correctly, you will believe, you will know, you will understand that everything you have came from God. And everything you have is owned by God. And if you don't know that, one day you will wake up dead and you will discover you don't have anything. It's all God's. And so here's the first principle. Believe, understand, surrender everything to God. Now, in all likelihood, most of us have things in our lives that we kind of hide from God. We kind of shield from God. It's almost like we want to have a prenuptial agreement with being saved. You know, God, I want you to save my soul, forgive my sins, take me to heaven when I die, but I don't want you to mess with my stuff now, you know. Uh, for instance, I know some men for whom the sacred part of their life is playing golf. I never was a good enough golfer to feel that was sacred. Uh, you know, I used to play golf, and I always had to, had to have a deacon with me when I played golf. And the reason was, the way I play golf, sometimes you want to say some really ugly words. And I can't, I can't cuss as a pastor. So I'd point to the deacon and say, would you say something appropriate about that shot for me, please? Or, or maybe it's fishing or hunting, or maybe it's some other sport or activity, or maybe it's your job. I know some women for whom their house is theirs, and it's their domain. And they're so uh, particular about the house. I used to say about my mother that if a speck of dust got in our house, it would die of loneliness. Because she was so particular about the way she kept her house. Now, I enjoyed it as a kid that the house was always clean and picked up, but I sure didn't like it when things were messy and she wanted me to clean it. What is it that you have in your life that perhaps you have kept away from God? You kept it as your own particular domain. And you see, to be a good steward, the first step is to make sure you transfer the ownership of everything in your life to him. And this is a continual process. We want to take things back that we give to him. And sometimes there are new things that come into our life that we discover, and we have to keep surrendering those things to him as they come up. And so if you really want to grow as a Christian, if you really want to be the mature Christian that God intends for you to be, one of the things is stewardship, and this area of stewardship requires that you recognize that God owns everything that you call yours. Here's the second step in verse 7. We have to understand that giving is an act of grace. And there's a wonderful illustration in verses 8 and 9 of our text. Let me just read it for us again. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Here it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, do you understand the word grace? Probably you do. Let me repeat, repeat it again for you so that just refresh your memory about the word grace. Grace is when someone does something for you that you don't deserve and that you can't do for yourself. Grace is always a gift. 
an undeserved gift, something you didn't earn, you didn't work for it, something that just, it was just bestowed upon you. That's grace. And so we have received by God's grace everything. And of course, salvation is one of the great gifts of grace. When you became a Christian, was it because you were a good person that you were saved? Is it because you promised God that you would be good that he saved you? Not at all. And God knew when he saved you all the sins you'd ever committed, and God knew when he saved you all the sins you were going to commit after you got saved. How about that? But the Bible says he saved us. By grace you've been saved. And so God's grace has been poured out to us, and the instrument of his grace was Jesus Christ. And it wasn't that we asked him to come and die for us. He did it out of grace. And those who receive his grace, those who receive his gift, those who receive his salvation are the recipients of that grace. Everything we have is an act of grace on God's part. So here's how giving works. I give as God leads and directs me to give my money, among other things, not because the recipient deserves it. In many cases, that is true. They deserve it. But in many cases, they don't. It's not because I think I'm going to get repaid someday. It's, it's not because I just want to feel good and, and boast about my giving. No, no. It's an act of grace. And I love it those times when we can give and, and not be recognized for the gift. This may have happened to you sometime. It's happened to me on more than one occasion. My wife and I were eating lunch at a, at a place over in Mount Pleasant many years ago. And uh, we were just sitting there eating and enjoying our lunch. And finally, we finished eating. And I was waiting for the waitress to bring the check. And, and she came by and I said, hey, uh, do you have a check for us? And she said, oh, no. I said, I don't. I said, there was a couple in here a little while ago. They paid for your meal. And you don't have to pay anything. Isn't that serendipitous? It's a matter of grace. I don't, to this day, know who that was. Now, there are times when I have seen people who, who came in and, and, you know, waved to us and maybe stopped and chatted at our table. And after we finished, we realized they had paid for our meal. But in this case, I didn't know who did it. And so I told my wife, I said, we've got to do that. And so we were in uh, the same restaurant uh, there uh, a week or two later, I guess it was. And we saw this young couple come in and sat not too far from where we were. And we could observe they probably were either engaged or just newly married, uh, really cute uh, with each other. And I said to Libby, we need to pay for their meal. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they're from. I just feel like we need to do that. And so that's what we did. How could I decide that? Well, it's just an act of grace. You know, I didn't know who they were. And, and I just wanted to, to treat them like I'd been treated. Listen, giving in God's economy is an act of grace. If we have received by grace whatever we have, then we ought to give by grace. Sometimes in the church over the years, I've uh, helped people who needed some kind of help. Maybe they needed a tank of gasoline. Maybe they needed an electric bill paid or the water, something. You know, people come by the church sometimes and just... They want help. They need help. And I quit years ago trying to figure out whether they were trying to scam me or not. If it was an obvious scam, I didn't want to take part of it. But I decided, you know, if people come to me and ask for help, I ought to do everything I can to help them in a way that will help them. And so people would sometimes say, now, now preacher, uh, I know you're helping me right now, but I promise you, I'm going to pay this back. 
And I said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't even try to pay us back. What we do for you is as unto the Lord, and there's no payback. If you feel led to do something about what you've received, help somebody else. Find somebody who needs help. Find somebody who could use something that you have and give it to them. When I first started preaching, my pastor that I grew up under, who was my mentor, he said, now, Ronnie, when you go out somewhere to preach, and this is before I was a pastor, but I, I began to get some opportunities to, to fill pulpits in some of these little small country churches. He said, they're going to want to give you something. See, I didn't know that. And he said, anytime they decide to give you something, never turn it down. Because they want to help. They want to give. They, they want, don't deny them the blessing of giving. And he said, if you can use it, use it. If you can't use it, you can find somebody else who can. And I love that story. Giving by grace. Continuing to give by grace. It's an act of God's grace that we are able to give and that we do give. That's number two. Here's the third way that you can be helped toward finding your place in growth with spiritual discipline of stewardship. It's in the, the scripture text we have, verse 12. Give according to what you have. There was a young man in our church in West Virginia named Doug. He married into our church family, a sweet, beautiful young lady. Uh, they went to college together at West Virginia University. And uh, Doug and Bobby dated, and they sang in a, a group together with the Baptist uh, Campus Ministries. And uh, we, we just loved Bobby, and when Doug came on the scene, we thought, he's a nice guy too, and so they married. And uh, they moved to our town as a young couple, and he got a job as a salesman. And one day he came by the church, and he said, uh, Pastor Ron said, I want to I talk to you about this plan I've got. I said, Doug, what, what's your plan? He said, well, I want to, to give a lot of money to God's work. And so with this job I've got, I can potentially make a lot of money. And so I've opened two bank accounts. And one bank account is for my own personal use for expenses and rent and food and all those things. But the other bank account is for money that I can give to God. And so when God blesses me with an abundance of funding then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put money in that account, and then we're just going to give it as God leads, maybe to the church, maybe to something else. And I thought, well, that sounds pretty good. And then I began to realize the more Doug talked and the more I got to know him, he was one of these guys who, who believed that if you name it and claim it, it's yours. Kind of a faulty theology. It was a theology of wealth, a theology of trying to get something for maybe nothing. And, and Doug, uh, bless his heart, fell flat on his face in that job because he was trying to get something for himself and kind of brag, uh, bribe him, God, God, if you'll make me wealthy, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return that and make the church wealthy. That never works. You cannot give what you don't have to give. It doesn't work that way. You have to give out of what you have. It's like the woman that Jesus saw one time at the temple. She was putting her coins in the offering box. And she was a widow, and she was very poor. And Jesus said, you see that woman over there? And they said, yeah, she was putting her mites. And a mite is a very small coin. 
in the box. She was putting her mite in the box. And she, he said to the disciples, you know, she has given more money than all these other people who come by and give their gold coins. How could that happen? It was out of what she had that she gave. Some of you may have heard of uh, Rick Warren, who's uh, been a pastor at Saddleback Church for a long, long time, and he's now retired. And Rick's book, The Purpose Driven Life, made him a multi-millionaire. Did you know that? And uh, Rick became a reverse tither. What does that mean? He kept 10% of his income and gave away 90%. Now, I don't know who the originator of that idea was, but there was another man many years earlier than Rick Warren named R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau was an inventor, an engineer, and he invented a lot of devices for off-the-road construction work. Some of these huge earth-moving machines were built on Letourneau's designs, and he became extremely wealthy. But he also kept 10% and gave away 90%. He didn't say, Lord, if you make me wealthy, I'm going to give away a lot. No, no. He just gave out of what he had. And he kept giving, and he kept giving, and he kept giving, and became a 90% giver and a 10% keeper. Wouldn't that be a wonderful place to be? Well, you know what? You don't have to be wealthy for that to happen. Maybe the growth for you in your stewardship is to consider what you have and decide to give more than you're giving currently either as a percentage or as a dollar amount. Look in the text and see what Paul says. He says it up front in the first few verses. He says it again in verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, verse uh, 12, that God will provide everything he wants you to give. And we have a classic example in the scripture. Back in Genesis chapter 22, God came to Abraham one day and he said, Abraham, I want you to to give me your son Isaac. I want you to take him to a place I'm going to show you about. I want you to offer him there as a burnt sacrifice. Now there's a lot of questions that that raises, and we don't have time to get into them here. Suffice it to say, that's what the Bible tells us. I believe it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And so the Bible says early the next morning, he didn't wait a couple of weeks to to finally convince him. No, no, he he started right away. He took his 15-year-old son Isaac, the son of promise, And he took some fire and some kindling, and they went to a place, and it's wonderful. The Bible says on the third day. That third day, man, that's a beautiful thought. On the third day, they came to the place where God said, it's on this place, on this mountain, I want you to offer him. So Isaac and the young man took the fire and the wood, went up on this little mountain, well, maybe it's a big mountain, and they built an altar out of stones. They fixed the wood on it. And Isaac said, well, well Father, where's the, where's the offering? Where's the sacrifice? You see, he didn't know that he was the sacrifice. And his father said, God will provide. You know the story. Many of you have read this many times. And so God bound his, uh, Abraham bound his son Isaac, put him on the wood. And as he was about to take a knife and slit his throat, God said, wait a minute, wait a minute, don't do it. And he said, there's a ram. He looked and there was a ram caught in a thicket. Abraham went and got the lamb, and the lamb became the substitute for Isaac, just like Jesus became our substitute. So here's the point. 
God has already prepared you to give what he wants you to give. He's waiting on you to say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, I'll do it. You may not know how it's going to work out. And it may be a sacrifice for you of something you dearly love. It won't be your child. (laughs) No, no, God doesn't do that. Not now, anyway. And there have been times when my wife and I had to make a decision about what to give. We've been through several building programs in churches where we've served. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a kind of pastor that thinks, you know, if I'm going to ask my people to do something, I'm going to do it. If I, if I don't do it, how can I ask them to do it? And so in every campaign we've had to raise money to pay off debt or raise money to build a building or to pave a parking lot or wherever it was, my wife and I always looked at this, let's just pray and ask God what he wants us to give. Now, we didn't go to our checkbook. We didn't go to our savings account book. We just, we just said, let's ask God. And by the grace of God, whenever he gave us a number, whenever he led us, told us in some fashion, this is what I want you to give, we gave it, and God supplied the need. I remember a building program in a church up in West Virginia, and our finances were ever so tight. We had three young kids, and we were just barely making it to, to pay our bills each month and to get along, and we did give 10%. We were tithers. And God said, here's the amount of money I want you to give to this building project. And it was to be given as many of those building projects over a three-year period. You give so much a week or so much a month for three years. And, you're going to... and the amount that God led us to give was more than I could have imagined. We said, okay, Lord. And month by month, God made that money available. That we were able to give and nothing went undone. No, no bills were unpaid. We didn't have to borrow money. We were able to give because God had a ram in the thicket at the right time to pay the bills. And I could just tell you story after story of how that happened in many, many different circumstances. But God always provides everything he wants you to give before you make the commitment to give it. You may not see it till the time comes to actually do the giving. But when you're faithful to trust what God says, God is faithful to give what you want to give, what you should give. Giving always requires faith. I remember talking to people about giving, and they would ask me sometimes, what about tithing? Is a a Christian supposed to tithe? Well, there's no law that says you have to to give a tithe. A tithe is 10%, by the way. I, mean, I had a preacher one time say, well, you know, we teach a 7% tithe. No, you don't. There's no such thing as a 7% tithe. Tithing is 10%. Now, if you may give 7% of your income, just don't call it a tithe. That's not what a tithe is. So I would explain to someone, and, and people said to me, Pastor, I just cannot afford to give a tithe. I said, well, here's the deal. And uh, used to, uh, in years past as a pastor, I would, I would have a series every year on stewardship. A series. Sometimes it would be right at the budget time, toward the end of the year, when the church is making a new budget. Or maybe it would be right after the first of the year when people got their year-end raises, or maybe their year-end bonus, or whatever some people get. And, and I would offer a tithing test. I'm so okay, here's the deal. If you will pledge to God to give 10% of your income for six months, And at the end of six months, you say to me, Pastor, that has not worked. It just didn't work for us. I then will ask our church treasurer to repay the tithe that you gave, and no questions will be asked. 
and you'll have your money back. You won't, you won't lose a dime. Several people took up that challenge through the years, and not one person ever asked for a nickel back. What does that mean? They have said to me time and time again, Pastor, I didn't believe it, but it works. How does it work? I don't know. Tithing is not a, a law. It is a principle. Did you know tithing began in the Bible before the law was given? That's right. First place we see tithing in the Bible is when Abraham rescues Lot and the other people who lived around Lot who were carried captive by the kings of the plain. And when they came back with the goods that they had received and recovered from all the different bounty that the kings had taken, there was a man who came on the scene named Melchizedek. Remember that name? And Melchizedek offered bread and wine. Isn't that a precursor to the Lord's Supper? A picture of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what Abraham did? He gave him tithes, 10% of all the goods that he and his men had taken. What does that indicate? Here's a principle at work. God doesn't want you to give what you don't have like my friend Doug tried to do. God wants you to give out of what you have. Here's another story, and, and, and I don't want to belabor the point, but W.A. Criswell, longtime uh, great pastor, First Baptist Church of Dallas, for many years the flagship church of the Southern Baptist Convention. A man came to Dr. Criswell, a young man who was starting his business, said, Dr. Criswell, so I'm just getting my business started, and I'm really struggling with how I can give money to God's work on my meager income right now. And Dr. Criswell said, well, how much, how much do you make right now? He said, well, I'm bringing in about $500 a month. And Dr. Criswell said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray that God would put on your heart whether or not you should tithe and give $50 a month to my house, to my work, to the work of the church as a commitment to God. And the man said, I will do it. I'll give $50 a month. And so he began giving $50 a month. And as the years went by, his business prospered greatly. His business prospered so much that after a few more years, he came to Dr. Criswell and said, Dr. Criswell, I've got a new problem now with tithing. He said, well, what's your problem? He said, well, you know, when you told me to start giving $50 a month because I was bringing in $500, that was wonderful, that was tough, but it was wonderful. But now my tithe is $5,000 a month, and I'm not sure I can afford to give that much. And so Dr. Griswold said, well, I'm going to pray now that God will cut down your income so that you'll be able to afford tithing. <laughs> God knows how much you have. God knows how much you bring in. It's not between you and me. It's not between you and the pastor. It's not between you and what people say. It's between you and God. And so you ask yourself the question, what do I have? What does God want from me? And here's the fourth help, the fourth habit. The fourth way, the fourth step, trust God's economy to be just right. Look at verse 15. Here is an illustration from the Old Testament again. Here's an illustration from Exodus 16. When the Israelites, the Hebrews, were coming out of Egypt and they were traveling through the wilderness to go to the promised land, long before they rebelled against God and decided not to go into the promised land, as he said, they needed something to eat. And so God gave them a miracle food called manna. You ever wonder why it was called manna? There's a good reason. It looked like frost in the morning when they got up 
when they woke up and went outside their tents, they looked like, it looked like there was frost all over the ground. And they went around and looked at it and picked it up and smelled it, and they said, in the Hebrew language, they said, mana, mana, which being interpreted means, what is it? And it stuck. So for 40 years, they ate mana, manna, every day. Now, there were some times when God gave them some quail, but the basic idea was manna. And here's the instruction. Every day, go out and pick up what you'll need to feed yourself and your family. And then on Friday, pick up twice as much because it's not going to come on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. Only going to come six days a week. And some of them picked up more than they needed. And some of them didn't pick up as much as they needed. And the Bible said, however much they picked up, it was just enough. Just enough. Read for yourself in Exodus 6, the story of manna. If they tried to save more than they needed, you know what would happen? Worms would eat it. Always just enough. I had a friend in Hanahan years ago when I was pastor over there, renewed my relationship with him when I was interim pastor a few years ago. His name is Ed. Ed and his wife used to entertain people in their home, and my wife and I were at their house some, and he always asked Ed, now, how was the food tonight? He would say, just right. How was that cup of coffee? Just right. How was that piece of pie? Just right. It never complained. And I've discovered that when you treat God's money as if it was God's money and not your own, things will work out just right. And so the real, the real question in this part of the sermon is this. Are you willing to trust that God will give you everything you need to enable you to do everything you should and pledge your commitment, pledge your resources, pledge all your stuff to him? I grew up in a church, good biblical preacher, and the pastor was faithful to teach about giving. And there was an older man in our church named Pop Sisson. Not the same systems that we have in, in Mount Pleasant. And Pop Sisson ran a feed and seed store in our town, Bluefield. And uh, the pastor asked for men uh, who would give their testimony about giving. And one Sunday morning, Pop Sisson gave his testimony. And I don't remember much about it. I was a kid. But I do remember this. Pop Sisson said God had been to him and how blessed God had made him. And he said, when I give to God, it's like giving to God with a a teaspoon. When God gives to me, it's like he gives to me with a shovel. Has God treated you that way? Have you given to God nearly as much as he has given to you? Heaven in my life, I mean, how, how could I repay God for all he's done for me? How could I repay God for physical health to be able to get up and walk around? How could I repay God for for three wonderful sons and, and seven mostly wonderful grandchildren. Yeah, <laughs> they're pretty good kids. How can I repay God for such a wonderful, faithful wife? This coming June, we will have been married 58 years. I know I'm not old, I don't look old enough to be, have been married that long, but I was, I was 10 when I got married. <laughs> no, not really. And so, what is it? What is it this morning that you should take away? Let me tell you one more story. 
Back in 1970, I finished college, finally, <laughs> as Josh said. And uh, in December of that year, I graduated in May. In December of that year, our first child was born. We'd been married for a little over two years. And we knew that God had called us to ministry. I was pastor of a little church, and, and uh, that was okay, and that was going okay. But we knew God wanted us to go further in, in training, so we just felt convicted that we need to go to a seminary. We need to study. We need to be prepared. And so we started investigating the seminaries that uh, Southern Baptists run and operate, and we were Southern Baptists then, Southern Baptists now. And we decided that God wanted us to go to New Orleans Seminary. My dad and I took a road trip to drive down there one time and, and looked it over and just seemed like this is the place God wants us to be. So we had a little baby, and in April of uh, 1971, uh, we got our little U-Haul truck packed up with our stuff, and uh, we had enough money to get there, enough money to buy gas, spend a night in a motel. We got to the seminary. We paid the first month's rent, paid for our utilities to be connected, got a truck unloaded, went out to a grocery store and bought some groceries, and it was hot. I mean, it was in April in New Orleans. If you know anything about the weather there, it is hot and sticky and sweaty, and, and we weren't used to that, and we had $100 left in our account. So I went out and bought an air conditioner with 100 bucks. And so we had already figured up our monthly needs, and we said, now, okay, God, we need my wife to work. She needs to make $400 a month. This is 1971, but that's what it was going to take for us to pay the rent, pay for our school supplies, uh, pay for our baby. We had a $10 a month hospital bill where we, when he was born, we didn't have any insurance, and we paid for that boy $10 a month forever. I think next year we're going to get it finished. No, no. <laughs> no, that's been done. And so we, we just trusted God. We believe God called us there. We believe God led us to that place. And many things confirmed it over the months that we had planned and prayed. And so there was a campus office that helped wives and students to get employment. Because a lot of students had to work part-time to get through seminary. A lot of wives worked to help their husbands get through seminary. So we went in the office. Libby went in and they said, what, what's your experience in? She said, well, I've worked in a tumor registry. They said, what is that? She said, well, you know, you, and, and they said, oh, there was a guy here last week looking for somebody to work in a tumor registry. Can you imagine that? They didn't know what it was, but here was somebody looking for it, and she comes in and says, I do it. So they set up, a, set up an appointment with her, a charity hospital in New Orleans, a big public hospital downtown. And this man had been a seminary student at one time, so he understood. So he saw us, and he said, well, this is wonderful, so we're glad to have you here apply, so I'm pretty sure we can put you to work right away. And, and he said, how much money uh, do you want to make? She said, we need $400 a month. He, oh, I'm sorry. We can't pay you that much. But he said, then there's, a, there's another hospital down in the Garden District. And, and I know the lady who runs the tumor registry, and she can pay you $400 a month. So he called, set up an appointment. We drove down there. Libby interviewed, and the woman said, look, I can't pay you 400 a month right away for the tumor registry, but if you can do legal uh, medical dictation, and she could, I can pay you $400 a month, and as soon as I get the money approved for tumor registry, I want to put you... She said, yes. So for two and a half years, my wife worked at $400 a month in a tumor registry in a hospital where they treated her right. Who do you think was behind that? It was God. 
Now, we didn't say, God, if you show us $400 a month, we're going to go. We said, no, we're going to go because you told us to go, and we're going to trust you to meet our needs while we're there. I did do some part-time jobs when I was in seminary. I was a pastor of a small church out in the country when I was there, and that brought in a little bit of money. But you see, you have to determine what God wants you to do and then trust Him to supply the need. Not just what you want, but what God says you should do. So let me ask you just to bow your head for a moment. Are you willing to honestly say to God, God, what do you want me to do with my finances? Is there another level of giving that you want me to go to? Do I need to start by giving 10% a tithe? Lord, is there some special need, some special program that you want me to give? What is it, Lord? I, I, I really want to be honest. I want to trust you to be the owner and the controller of all my stuff. Will you just ask him honestly? And he may not answer you right this moment. He may, may not answer you for a few days or, or even a while longer. But are you willing to put it all before God and say, God, I pledge to you whatever you put on my heart to do. I will do. Now, Father, take your word and use it to bless, use it to encourage, use it to sharpen those who have an ear to hear what the Spirit says. In Jesus' name, amen. My name's Josh. I'm the associate pastor here at King's Cross Church. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Take a moment to subscribe and you'll get each week's message automatically. We invite you to join us as we grow in the gospel, connect in community, and live on mission. May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all.